What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, folks. Uh, Very excited about this week's episode. We are talking to Mr. John Paul Boyd. He is an accredited family law arbitrator, a family law mediator, and a parenting coordinator, and his focus in family law disputes is on the big picture. So this week, Bridie and I talked to John Paul about conversations we should absolutely be having with our significant others. We hope you enjoy it. And as always, Bridie and I will see you on the other side. All right, uh, John Paul Boyd. Very excited to sit down and talk to you. Um, firstly, because uh, I, I feel like the work that you do is is going to bring a lot of uh, insight into the work that we do, and and it's a conversation that I think we've kind of been waiting to have with someone who could speak to this kind of stuff um, that we're about to get into. But also kind of excited because. Um, uh, you and I are both going to be on the same, uh, the same, I, I don't know how much of this I'm allowed to fucking talk about, but, uh, we're going to be on the same as CBC mini series all about sex in, in Canada. Um, yes. uh, which is very exciting. Um, but we'll save that for when that comes out. Mm, yeah. Uh, we can revisit we'll keep, things then. yeah, a little, a little, uh, a little bonus for our listeners there. Um, but John, you are you are an accredited family law arbiter. Uh, arbor, how do you say that? Arbiter, arbor, arbiter. 
Ar- arbitrator. 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 And a family law mediator. And uh, I know that... So what we're going to be diving into specifically um, is family law surrounding surrounding relationships that uh, fall outside of the 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 what is considered to be like typical monogamous setup. Um, yeah. And this yeah. is something, you know, Bridie and I, we're in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, we've been married for 10 years. We both have partners outside of one another. Um, yet we, this is like something we've never really talked about uh-uh. or, or dived into. No. And, and recently I started with my other partner exploring some like, uh, business, um, uh, business plans and owning property together mm. and all of this kind of stuff and realizing like with that comes a whole other level of complication. And oh, yeah. Not only that, but it also shone a light for me on how I like how, you know, we got married pretty young and and there was no like manual where you go, here's a list of things you guys should talk about and figure out before you get legally bound to one another. And I don't think most people do that that work unless they've it's their second time around maybe so i'm really i'm really intrigued by that even even for our monogamous listeners but then add polyamory in there and like how how complicated do things get Mm. um for those folks when especially when things go awry in the relationship Mm. well i mean i've been practicing family law for i guess more than 20 years now um, and, you know, I didn't always live in the happy groves of mediation and arbitration. I used to be a litigator, right? And uh, and when I started to practice family law, it was uh, an assumption that everybody that walked into the front door was going to be resolving their dispute in court, right? Um, except the the curious thing is that um, the disputes, you know, were all sort of revolving around the same four subject areas, right? Parenting after separation, child support, spousal support, mm-hmm. and the division of property. But what what surprised me was, you know, just how, you know, some people are relatively equanimous and you know, can get along with each other and do just fine with vague arrangements. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. No, you can have the car and I'll take the 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 barbecue or something like that but then there were other people who who were just so predisposed to fighting and arguing and you know these you know we're not talking about little tiny battles that are sort of over and done with in the length of a of a law and order episode i mean these are you know spats and fights drag out and knock them down disputes that would go on for years and years and years i mean i've had files where i've watched the kids grow up as I represented one of their parents, which is an absolutely perverse place to find yourself. And it's not what the justice system is all about. So the interesting thing was, is that when I first sort of began to run into uh, poly families, um, you know, my, my initial sort of reaction was, wow, man, this really is the, the, the village it takes to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And there's truth to that. And I, and I was attracted to you know, the life for those children growing up with a multitude of parents, right? And and the richness of the parenting resources that would be available to those kids. And, and you know, the longer that, you know, I, I continue to be involved in polyamorous families, 
um, you know, the more and more I learned. And then when I took a break from the court system and uh, wound up running the Canadian Research Institute for Law and the Family at the University of Calgary and actually started doing some research on people who identify as polyamorous, you know, I began stumbling into these other things like about the extraordinary support within the community for the importance of transparency and honesty and communication. And then it hit me that a lot of the people that I'm dealing with as a family law lawyer or never had those preliminary conversations that you have to have when you're starting a polyamorous relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Because polyamorous relationships don't just sort of happen, right? But a dyadic relationship, a pair relationship, well, you know, quite often people don't realize that they're in that kind of a relationship until they wake up one day and realize that all of his socks are in, are in her underwear drawer. It's like, holy shit, I guess we're living together, right? Mm -hmm. But But in society, right? I mean, we're so used to these dyadic assumptions that pervade everything, right? Uh, from uh, how government figures out EI benefits to how you calculate um, entitlement to or obligations with respect to, to uh, welfare or how we divide family property and family law cases or who are the right number of spouses that are entitled to inherit when somebody dies without a will. I mean, all these assumptions about pair relationships are hardwired into almost every aspect of society. Like when next time you look at a, at a, at a kid's form for god girl scouts or parents right how many slots are there for the parents and or guardians two only two right and there are so many canadians that just don't fit into that little pair but what i what i was getting at is that you know all you have to do is go to the uh greeting card aisle of your local grocery store, right? And, you know, it, it's, that is a microcosm of the dyadic assumptions that drape our society from beginning to end. And so I, I sort of, I, I began to realize that, you know, keeping in line with the whole idea about, you know, not realizing that you're in a relationship until you're, you've discovered that your socks are in your partner's underwear drawer, um, you know, there, there, we live a life full of scripts, right? Scripts about how you meet and how you fall in love and how wonderful it is. God, and all you have to do is watch any one of a handful of Hallmark movies to sort of see that script play out, right? And it's so idealized and it's so infantilizing, right? But it's also uh, so emblematic of, of all of the assumptions that we make as a society. But the people I was uh, involved with when I was doing the research about, about polyamorous families, you, you, you don't sort of stumble into a polyamorous relationship, right? It's something you talk about. You have to talk about it. Mm. You got a plan. And so questions like the ones that you're facing, Bridie, about starting up a business, you know, if you were in a vanilla dyadic relationship, it'd be like, oh, I'm thinking about doing that. What do you think? Oh, that sounds pretty good. Let's do it. Right. Or that sounds crazy. Don't do it. Right. But here you have to navigate all of these issues that dyadic couples hardly ever think about because, you know, we're all so busy following the social script. We don't even realize that the social script exists but not in a poly relationship. And that's the fascinating part about it. Mm -hmm. when, when it comes to this, like this, this notion of the, the dyadic relationship among society as like a standard, how does, are there, what, are, what is the law when it comes to, let's say, let's say Bridie, myself and uh, Bridie's partner, Todd decide to have a baby. Um, and we bring a human into this world. Right now in Nova Scotia, it, would it be it would it be legally possible for us to 
have on that baby's birth certificate, like Todd is the father, Jeremy is the father, the second <laughs> father, and Bridie is the mother. Like, is, yeah. is that a, is that a thing that that exists in Canada or Okay. Or is or is or or is that something that's kind of relatively new in terms of um, not a lot of people have actually like crossed that bridge and and there's right. th- there's precedence right. that needs to be set. Okay, so the basic way that Canada works, right, is that um, there is that our Constitution Act divides the powers involved in running a country between the federal government and the provincial governments, right? And so the idea is, is that what the federal government can make rules about the provinces can't and so on, right? So um, kids, parenting, parentage, registration of births, uh, all of that is provincial in nature, right? Okay, yeah. And so as a result, it changes, uh, it can change, and it does change depending on the province you happen to live in. So I don't know enough about Nova Scotia law to be able to tell you convincingly that, no, no, you can't, but I'm pretty sure that you can't. On the other hand, all you have to do is go to the other side of the country, find yourself in British Columbia, where the family law act there allows a child to have as many as, I think it's six parents, people who are parents for all purposes of the law, right? Up to two intended parents, uh, a donor of sperm, a donor of eggs, a surrogate's uh, mother, and the spouse of the surrogate mother. All of those people can be made the parents of a child by an agreement that is made prior to conception. You don't have, you don't even have to go to court and argue about this stuff. It's amazing, right? And so what that means and what I've seen in some families uh, coming from British Columbia is there are arrangements that people make where, you know, the two men will commingle their sperm, for example, and use that to impregnate the mom, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so so in, in British Columbia, because you, you have this flexible circumstance, both you know all three people could be designated as the parent of a child. Um, and in fact, there was an even more recent case not involving assisted reproduction, where the court said, oh, you know, clearly the uh, provincial legislature wasn't thinking about poly families when it made the Family Law Act. So there's a hole there. And the court made an order that said that, no, if people can choose to have multiple parents, even if they're not using assisted reproduction to, to make the child. Fascinating stuff. But you're not going to find a particularly warm and fuzzy reception in Alberta where, you know, I'm talking to you from. Uh, Ontario is probably the province that's the next most friendly, um, but it's going to change everywhere you are across Canada. So unless you have legislation or a court order that specifically allows you to either, you know, have a baby through assisted reproduction and name the parents or get a court order deciding, you know, that persons A, B and C are all the parents of the child, you're hooped. And most of the time, most provinces say the parents of a child are the birth mother and the biological father. Hmm. Now, in in British Columbia, where where there was that gap and that gap seems to have been filled. Um, due to the the previous circumstances that they had with like sur- you know surrogate parents and 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 the people involved in actually like making and 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 bringing this baby to life, how how complicated does that make things when you know that that mother and that father and that father in a polyamorous relationship decide, okay, well one of us is one of us is separating from this situation. And now we have to decide who takes custody, who rem- like who pays child support. Yeah, who pays child support? Like yeah. all of those things yeah. involved in separation. Like, does that um, make it even yeah. even that much more complicated than 
it would be if it was, uh, you know, again, like your, your typical, yeah. uh, just mother and father situation or, or, or is it as simple as that? You're just adding another person to, to the mix. Oh, well, I, I actually, uh, it, it's probably going to surprise you that it's more simple than it is complicated. Hmm. Right. I mean, the law, I mean, family law in Canada goes back to England and France and that in turn has its roots in Roman law, which in turn has its roots in legislation. Like, and that, that is, I kid you not, 4,000 years old, right? That's how long family law has been a part of the, of, of the legislated landscape, right? So uh, once upon a time, issues about parentage were hugely important, right? If you were a bastard, meaning that your father was unacknowledged or unidentified, you didn't have the right to your father's title. You didn't have the right to inheritance. Uh, you, 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 you were treated as less than, right? And that was the law for a good long time. Um, and it wasn't really until recently where we had the technology to identify conclusively who the parents of a child are. And so prior to that, that was a huge issue about who had to pay child support and so on and so forth. The other bit that plays into the mix is that it, it's not really until the 1960s when uh, relationships between adults, marriages were perceived as anything other than until death do you part. Right. And so with the evolution of the idea that, you know, relationships do end, people do get divorced, uh, common law relationships form and then get rent asunder. You know, the law has kept pace with that. And so we're actually much more comfortable with the idea that a child can not only have two biological parents, but also uh, step parents and uh, non-married people who stand in the place of parents. Right. And so the curious thing about that kind of thing is that because governments federally and provincially play such a huge emphasis on the well-being of children, we have a situation where the government has, since the 1970s, been delighted to extend the obligation to pay child support to as many people that fall, that, that fall into the child's life as people who are guardians or who stand in the place of parents. And so the law is quite comfortable with child support obligations, and it's gotten almost as comfortable dealing with uh, issues about parenting after separation, who gets to see the child when, why, and how, and how are decisions made about the child and things like that. But in a situation where we're talking about relationships that are uh, contemporaneous rather than sequential, right? Well, I mean, you know, I, I doubt very much that any court in the country is going to limit its consideration about the child's parenting needs to just the two people who happen to be biological parents, right? Because the law of the land is always about nothing more than what's in the best interests of the child. So if you've got three people or four people or five people who are playing, who are playing involved parenting roles in a child's life, I've got no doubt that all of those people would have substantial and important, meaningful time with that kid. And would they be required as well to pay child support? Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. No, the, uh, the law is very comfortable about the idea that multiple people can be required to pay child support, right? Mm -hmm. So we're good with that. Um, in fact, the federal child support guidelines um, have, a, have an explicit provision that deals with how do you calculate the child support obligation of people who are step parents rather than biological parents. Mm. At, at what point would be, I mean, ideally it would seem best point to have that conversation would be pre having yep. a baby, <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. but, but, but like if it doesn't 
I kind of lost track of what I was going to ask there, but most people when they're planning to have a baby are not planning for a potential disillusion of the relationship someday down the road. But so I, I, I guess I'm just cautioning all of our listeners, any of our listeners that like even say Jeremy and I had never opened our relationship and, 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 and we had had a kid and then we were going into a separation or what about a pre-existing kid coming into mm. a polyamorous parenting situation? Like, I guess I, I just can't even wrap my head around the, that right. pre- preparation for that. Well, so the thing is, um, the law is really well established about the idea of, you know, uh, two parents who have a child and then break up and then one of the parents repartners and so on and so forth. Like we're, we're comfy with that. Right. Um, Where things stretch a little bit is like, what do you do when there's multiple adults who are simultaneously involved in parenting a child? Um, The courts in most jurisdictions uh, and, you know, the ones that leap immediately to mind as being friendly to the situation are the courts of Ontario and the courts of British Columbia. They're not going to have an issue with that. But as far as the people who are involved, you know, I mean, it's it's all part and parcel uh, about going into relationships with your eyes wide open which is precisely what tends not to happen in dyadic relationships, unless, as as you were pointing out, it's a case of once bitten, twice shy. You've already been through the relationship ringer and you know what, you know what to do next time. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, most people don't go into committed relationships sort of anticipating that it's going to break down at some point. Right. I mean, you kind of cross your fingers and hope. Um, But as far as the kids are concerned, you have to have the conversations right from the very beginning. What are your expectations? Mm. I mean, to give you an example, I've, been a, I've done a combination parenting agreement and relationship agreement for a family in which um, everybody who was involved agreed that one member of the family in particular, and it was a quad, um, would not play a parental role, but their role would be kind of uh, avuncular, like an uncle or an aunt. You know, so they'd be there and they'd care. And of course, they'd wind up loving the child. But they, but everybody expected right off the bat that there wasn't going to be that kind of parent child intense relationship. So uh, so all I can say to you and to your listeners is that, you know, you, you cannot go into a poly relationship uh, except with a lot of conversation, um, including about things that, you know, dietic people rarely pause to think about. Yeah. Like you've got to think yeah. not just about your kid, but about, let's say that the fridge breaks down. Well, who has to pay for the new one or the repair guy? Or there's a, you need to have a new roof. Are you going to buy a house or a car? Whose name goes on the car? How do you figure all that stuff out? It's complicated. Mm, yeah. And, you know, and in pair relationships, we've got that social script, right? We know what's going to happen, but you have to have conversations. Yeah. And- yeah. I mean, like, I'm just thinking about like our relationship before we got married. We never once had a conversation before that about debt. Or shared yeah. debt. We never had a conversation about filing taxes. We never had a conversation about property. Or at, who was going to do what in the relationship. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And 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 one of the questions that I that I had while while we've been sitting here is like, you know, John Paul, I, I don't know if this is if and and you're you're kind of touching on it now, but like, are there things that folks who do live in polyamorous relationships, whether, you know, it's a a triad or a quad or whatever the setup is, are there, 
Like, are there tips that you would give to those folks in terms of the types of conversations they should be having? Yeah, I'm thinking like a checklist. Yeah, like yeah, like a checklist <laughs> of things to go over before things get right. to that point of 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 the relationship being that serious where where it seems like it's going to be this like long-term commitment between three, four more people. Yeah. Um uh or or is it is it the exact same things? Is it is it the same things that two people in a monogamous relationship really should be considering having a conversation about before they get married? Well, so the, the two people at the attic relationship, the thing is they rarely have a conversation about anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, they do that preliminary kind of feeling out thing. So, uh, you know, what are your career plans and how do you feel about kids and those other kinds of sort of, you know, when Harry met Sally kind of exploratory dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing though, is, is that there's so much that goes unspoken that you know you're you're right jeremy it's like you do want to have a a checklist um you know so what i tell lawyers right because that's the audience you know that i primarily speak to about poly and poly relationships is i say you know when you have a dyadic family you know or you're just you're representing one of them right we have like a mental list that we go through right you know houses debts child support spousal support you know and all that kind of basic stuff right and so i can give you like comprehensive advice the challenge though is to sort of push uh lawyers and the the people involved out of that kind of really comfortable dyadic comfort zone into thinking about everything so you know what i would say is as a prerequisite, if you're entering into a poly relationship, you already have that propensity for openness and dialogue and transparency of communication. That needs to continue throughout your relationship, and it especially needs to persist and be nurtured in those really difficult uh, initial conversations that you've got to have with the other people that are hopefully going to wind up being your partners. And what I tell lawyers is, you've got to be so much more creative and think outside the box. It's not just a matter of those, you know, checking off those four boxes about property, debt, child support, spousal support, parenting children and stuff, you've got to go further than it. And then that you have to think about hard questions like expectations about emotional and sexual fidelity mm. that dyadic couples never wind up talking about because the Hallmark Isle doesn't contain a, you know, happy Valentine's Day to you and you and you section, right? It's, it's, it, you know, there's all these assumptions, right, that get made. Um, but, you know, in a, in a multi-adult family, you've got to think about what's going to happen if all of us leave the relationship? What's going to happen if just one of us leaves? What happens if one of us meets somebody else who wants to introduce them to the relationship? Is that cool or not? Can you kiss somebody else at a party or have sex with them? Do you need to obtain permission first? Do you need to just sort of let people know ahead of time? Are there rules about safe sex and stuff like that, right? So that, but that that's only a relational issue internal mm-hmm. to the group. You have to ask yourself how are we going to present ourselves to the outside world is it cool that all of us go to the boy scout jamboree to celebrate our our Mm -hmm. sons you know erecting of tents or whatever the case is right (laughs) um how many of us can go to you know aunt Susie's wedding uh you know what's going to happen on you know meet the parent or meet the teacher nights you know and because i can tell you right now they don't have enough chairs around the table right (laughs) how's how's all that gonna work out and 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 you've got to maintain that 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 willful exercise of openness throughout 
the early, uh, well, throughout the early stages of the relationships while you're negotiating all this stuff, as well as through the rest, right? But you've got to sit and think and scratch your head and ask yourself hard stuff like, Who's going to pay for what? Um, or questions that 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 you only see in joke cohabitation agreements about how many times are we going to take out the laundry? Who's responsible or take out the garbage? Who does the laundry? Who washes the dishes? Who's going to be cooking? What happens if one of us realizes, hey, man, I've been cooking for like the last two weeks and that's not fair. How do you raise that within the group? Do you, like, you know, what what's the framework for that? How do you resolve disputes? Because there will be disputes, right? Well, you know, so there's so much going on and so much to think about but it requires like i said that that conscious that, that conscious willful exercise and transparency and the moral and intestinal courage to be brave and courageous throughout you know all of these discussions mm. and throughout the relationship it takes so much uh self-awareness of yeah. your oh, gobs of that yeah. gobs of that yeah, yeah. Hey, how did, how did, John Paul, how did you end up here? Like, have you always been, you know, when you were in high school, were you always kind of the mediator within your friend group, you know, or like, is this something that you've, a role you've always sort of naturally fell into or like what, what made you get into the work that you do? And, and, and on top of that, how did you fall into, um, how did you fall into doing this work? specifically for people who are in non-monogamous relationships and, and things that are like that exist outside the, the societal norm of, of just, you know, a monogamous, a monogamous setup. Well, I guess uh, the, 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 how I became a lawyer fell into lawyering was that, um, you know, I, uh, I went to high school in Ontario at a time when high school went all the way to grade 13, which was one year, apparently, more than I was prepared to put up with. And so I failed grade 13 miserably, right? So I wound up going to art school, which, which would take me with a grade 12. And while I was there, I went through the, the purgatory of night school, eventually got my grade 13, and then went to the only university that gave me credit for my time at art college. And so at art college, though, I had fallen in love with philosophy of all things, right? Uh, because, you know, in order to, you know, maintain their pretense of being, you know, an intellectual institution, you know, in addition to drawing and painting, which is the stuff that I was up to, you also had to take these liberal arts courses. And so I took that and managed to fall in love with learning in a way that high school and primary school had never really sort of been able to nurture in me. And so I fell in love with philosophy, went off to university, did a, a major in fine arts with a minor in philosophy. Uh, yeah, no, a major in philosophy with a minor in fine arts. That was it. Uh, still liked it. Decided that I was going to go off and do my master's. And while I'm doing my master's, I came to realize how god awful the ivory tower was and what it was going to be like to work in that kind of environment and i thought god no uh but along the way a friend of mine uh got busted for possession and so i was going along with her to some of her hearings uh because at that time it was illegal to possess marijuana as some of your listeners may recall so i was going along with her to her hearings and then i um and and uh, she didn't have a very good lawyer so we kept going to you know the wrong courtroom on the wrong day and all that so as a result I was in court an awful lot, you know, listening to what was going on and patiently waiting for her lawyer to show up. And along uh, the way, the, the judge um, used something called the reasonable person test. You don't, you don't need to know, worry about what the hell that means. But I was sitting there and a little light bulb went on. I was like, ah, oh, this is philosophy. Mm -hmm. So just when I was getting really 
cynical and burned out on university and, you know, wondering what am I going to do with a master's in philosophy? Because, you know, what that equips you to do is uh, work at a McDonald's. Um, <laughs> I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll go to law school. That sounds like applied philosophy. It sounds like fun. Right. And so I wound up going off to, to doing that. And then, um, you know, you article uh, before you become a lawyer and the firm I worked at um, did a tiny smidgen of family law stuff, but a whole bunch of like, you know, civil, civil stuff and criminal stuff. And uh, eventually I wound up falling in love with family law. And uh, because family law, you know, you, you, uh, you're providing concrete help to people in situations of profound personal need. And it's gratifying to be able to help somebody at, at a time of such tangible crisis in their lives. And so that was easy enough. And then uh, um, I guess I was around the 10 or 12 year mark of my uh, of being a lawyer and doing family law. And I got a call out of the blue about a provincial court trial involving a poly family. That was really awesome because they were calling to consult about the appeal and what did I think about this, that, and the other thing. And so we talked about that for a while. And then a week or so later, out of the blue, the other side of the trial gave me a call also mm. about the appeal. And so, and, and this was this wonderful like relationship involving, um, you know, I think there were three people in the relationship at any particular time, but they, they all had kids together and they were all living together. They were out, they were living openly as a poly family. Their, their kids' friends knew that, you know, Johnny has, you know, two moms and a dad and stuff like that. And it, it was awesome. And, but, but, you know, so I consulted on that, thought that that was really interesting. Um, and then, uh, and, and, but that was the thing that sort of kicked me in the ass and made me start thinking about the law that previously I had only ever considered uh, from the perspective of a dyadic relationship, mm -hmm. because the whole poly relationship thing wasn't even on my horizon. It wasn't something I'd even considered. And so you wind up thinking about, God, how does this law that I've been applying for the last X number of years, how do, how do I fit this relationship and these people and their rights, interests, and entitlements and their obligations into this framework of a law that is built for two people. Like the BC Family uh, Family Relations Act at the time says each party will be entitled to half the family assets. It doesn't tell you that there can only be two people in a relationship, but boy, does that telegraph government's unspoken expectations, right? Uh -huh. Then I went off to uh, the University of Calgary where I ran that research institute and and because I was running it, I had some discretion about the um, the um, the uh, research agenda, and I thought this would be really fun. And so um, I'm I, I'm still tickled pink to think that you know I I conducted Canada's first large scale national study of people who self identify as polyamorous and. Uh, those uh, the two research papers that came out of that are still available on the website of the University of Calgary for anybody that's interested in looking them up. But that was awesome and a lot of fun and tremendously eye opening and, you know, just so amazing. And I guess the, the other thing that sort of comes into this is that that original family that called me about the appeal, well, it didn't stop there. Right. You know, I moved to Calgary to run the research institute and like about a month after I was there, I got a call from somebody else about an immigration question you know it was a couple living in uh, somewhere in alberta wanting to sponsor a, their third into canada and how was the how were the border people going to even be thinking about this or the citizenship people and then after that it was another call and another call and another call and just to give you some idea i was presenting some of the initial findings of that research at a meeting of lawyers with the law society of upper canada 
they were because they, they do this annual like family law sort of educational thing right and it was a massive group so inside the room there must have been like 400 people easily and with another 600 online but the 400 people in the room i said out of curiosity how many people here uh know someone who's in a polyamorous relationship can you put up your hands and i kid you not that something on the order of about two-thirds of the room did wow. right wow. so it's this thing that exists, that it's everywhere. And the vast number of respondents we had to my survey would tell you exactly that. Um, but it's the kind of phenomenon that um, somehow manages to alert just slightly beneath the visible surface of the lake. Mm. But it's so much more widespread, so much more common than people think, especially as the millennials and the generation behind them grow up. Uh, with an attitude of conscious questioning of the values passed down to them by their parents. So that, you know, I I think that we no longer sort of treat the, 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 the moral buffet that society offers to us with the assumption that it's right. You know, it's not received wisdom. We question, we think, we criticize. And that's why I think some of the names that we have for poly relationships you know, include things like uh, a relationship anarchy, right? Mm. Which, I mean, how how is there anything other than giving the middle finger to leave it to Beaver, right? It's not, it's like, I'm not doing what your relationship was like, I'm going to do what I want, right? Um, or a consensual non-monogamy or all the other terms that are more or less an explicit repudiation of the received wisdom from mom and dad and mm. their mom and dad and their mom and dad. And so, do Sorry, you get much? No, it was. I, I mean, that that was that was great. And and one of the things that you said there that that just kind of struck me is that um, you know you you're standing in front of that room and you ask that question, and two thirds of the room say that they at least know someone who's in that type of relationship. It's it surprises me that that you know. I, I while we were talking here, I I, br- I brought up. Um, an article from Canadian law mag or Canadian lawyer mag.com about a BC judge that ruled that a woman in a polyamorous family relationship be named as the second mother to a child. And this article came out in May of this year, you know? And so it's like, it's, it's surprising to me that this it's, this isn't new. Like this is, these, these aren't relationship um, types of relationships that are new. They, they have existed and they've been around. It's just so funny to me that like it's only now that we're see, seeing articles like this kind of pop up here in the country. Um, right. So the article that you're referring to is actually about the case that I mentioned before about the BC judge right, and the parents, right? right? Okay. But it's just taken that long for a case to get to court, right? Mm. And remember that when we're talking about the the apparent uh, oddness of poly relationships, we're talking about like you know, Western civilization within quote marks in the capital W and the capital C, right? The reality is um, that uh, polygamous relationships are actually uh, uh, approved of by some uh, Western religions as well as by Orthodox species of of Islam, Mm. right? And and so uh, there are many uh, cultures that practice traditional Sharia law where, uh, in fact, uh, poly polygamous families are much more common than you would believe, right? Mm. So, you know, and it's common throughout spots in Africa, there's places in South America, places in the Middle East where these relationships are kind of the norm. 
right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, to give you an idea about just how normal this is, Ontario's family law legislation actually contains a provision that allows people who are married in, in polyamorous faiths still access to the family law provisions about spousal support, even though uh, polygamy is illegal in Canada, which is mm-hmm. fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. But that's how common it is. It's so common they had to make that that provision. So it's really a, a, a Western prejudice that, you know, frankly, had its origins with uh, the ancient Greeks and Romans. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is another... uh, a bit of a personal question, and I hope it's okay that I ask, but through the work that you do as a mediator and an arbitrator, uh, 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 you know, a, a, someone who, who's, who disputes, uh, uh, um, um, works with like dispute resolution, um, how much of that work has, has affected your own personal relationships? You know, like I, I know it's a lot easier to practice what you preach, are a lot easier said than done to practice what you preach. But like, has this, do you think this work that you do has, has made you a better partner, you know, a better, a better partner in, in, in having the, the ability to, to find resolution when it comes to disputes or, or to like self mediate in, in your own, like in your own relationships? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm still an asshole most of the time, but uh, <laughs> I, 
I, I think though it's given me a better appreciation of interpersonal dynamics. And, you know, I, I have for, since the beginning of my practice believed that you can't be a good family law lawyer without knowing the, you know, basic elements of psychology. I mean, you know, half the work I do is legal. The other half is sort of a armchair counselor kind of thing, right? Mm. Um, and so that has, I think, made me a better parent. And I think uh, it's made me a better partner because, uh, you know, I'm more, more painfully aware about how uh, uh, I react to others' actions and others react to my actions and the importance of uh, demonstrating respect uh, even when I'm not necessarily feeling that way, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, respect for others, a um, certain degree of insight into uh, emotional reactions and things like that. I think that I know my kids a hell of a lot better than they think I do yeah, <laughs> because right. of that. You know? Right, yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, since what you said about, you know, kind of giving the finger to this system that's been built around the assumption of diet, dyadic relationships, do your peers, your professional peers or, or like, do you get a lot of pushback on no, no. this? No, no, no. You see, the thing about doing family <laughs> law, right, is that man, you see everything, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to practice too long before nothing is capable of shocking you anymore, right? Because, you know, you deal with people, you know, from all walks of life with all interests and all kinds of ways of arranging their relationships, right? There is virtually nothing that you could tell me that would shock me about a human relationship, right? Um, and, and I think that you know, most family law lawyers take the same approach. I mean, the only ones who would sort of have that kind of uh, uh, sheltered bigotry would be the kinds who are uh, fiercely religious in their personal lives and whose religion is either a conscious or an unconscious filtering mechanism for their clientele, right? But for other folks, I mean, God, like I said, there's nothing you could say that would shock me about the nature of your relationship. So uh, so for family law lawyers, it's like talking about this stuff is like, oh, oh, really? Ooh, tell me more. This is really exciting, you know? And it is, right? Because all of us like a challenge. I mean, family law has a learning curve like, like no other area of law. You're constantly exposed to new ideas and challenging boundaries and assumptions and all that sort of stuff. And so most, most people are just sort of delighted and open to hear about this stuff, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it helps those of us who have bumped into poly relationships, uh, you know, it's like normalize that experience um, and realize that other family law lawyers are bumping into these issues as well and asking questions about how do you deal with that? I mean, um, the, uh, the, the, the parenting and relationship agreement that I was talking to you about earlier, well, it wasn't just me. Um, each one of the other parties had a lawyer, and then there was another lawyer, uh, a fifth lawyer, who was sort of the organizing force that was driving the bus and was responsible for drafting the agreements so that no one felt that anybody else had an unfair advantage. And so all of those lawyers are heavily involved in LGBTQ plus issues, assisted reproduction, and know their way around the ins and outs of the human psyche and all of the different relational modalities that people can find themselves in. So none of us were particularly surprised. And it was uh, a frankly engaging, extraordinarily enriching experience. You mentioned all of these agreements. And I, I just want to mm -hmm. clarify, 
these agreements come to be based on, you know, conversation, lots of conversation, lots, lots. of openness. But if you want them to actually uh, do what they're meant to do for the di- in the event of the dissolution of a relationship, do they have to be signed off on by a lawyer? So, uh, important point. Um, family law agreements uh, do not need to be approved of by a judge, by a lawyer, by a priest, a rabbi, or an imam, or your parents, right? <laughs> um, they're a contract, just like the contract that you have with your employer, the people that you lease a car from, and all the rest, right? Yeah. And so, uh, family law agreements on their own are enforceable, just like any other contract, but the family law legislation of most provinces gives agreements that people make a kind of an elevated status, right? And provide tests for when those agreements can be set aside and when they have to be enforced and how they're enforced and and things like that. Um, But to sort of think about a relationship agreement in a multi-adult family, um, the purpose is more along the lines of having a commonly understood recipe for a loaf of bread, right? You're signing it. Um, with the expectation that this is how you're going to make bread, this is how you're always going to make bread, and that you're not anticipating that I, that anybody's going to try to weasel out of the bread making process or try to do it in some radically different way, right? So, um, most people go into this agree go into these agreements so that they have a shared understanding of exactly how they're going to go about baking that loaf, not because they're thinking, "Shit, man, I'm going to need to enforce this at some point down the road," right? Relationship agreements between dyadic couples are more uh, about enforcement, right? Because they're about what happens when our relationship tanks, right? Yeah. Will I be able to ask for spouse support? Will I have a share of your, your debt? Will I be entitled to ask for, you know, half of your stable of horses and all the rest, right? But relationship agreements among multi-adult families, they're, they're not so much about the end of the day, what happens if things go south? They're about, you know, how do we buy a new refrigerator? What happens if we want to buy a new house? What are the rules that govern our relationship? And like I said, they're more about baking bread, having that shared understanding that these are our obligations. This is the shit we've agreed to, right? And they're written down in that formal thing that looks like a contract so that, you know, everybody knows that all you have to do is go back to the recipe to find out how much sugar you're supposed to add. Right. Um, And, you know, we and in law, we write contracts down, not because oral contracts aren't binding, but we write them down because it's really hard to argue about what the terms of the agreement are when they're written out in a piece of paper rather than when, well, we talked about this and we shook hands. Now, how many Ford Pintos were you going to give me? You know, you know, so this way you don't argue about it. Right. So think of it as a a map, a set of directions. uh, you know, something like that, like a shared understanding of what you all have agreed to about how the relationship is going to get navigated. And what do you do if you want to introduce somebody new? And what do you do if you want to buy a car, or sell the car, right? What do you do if one of us decides they want to leave, right? So down the road, yeah, sure, there's all that bump about, you know, going to court to enforce and stuff like that. And, you know, you need to check the rules that apply in your specific province because some provinces don't require that your signature on an agreement be witnessed. Other other uh, jurisdictions do. Mm-hmm. Don't think any of them require the signature to be witnessed by a lawyer, but it needs to be witnessed by somebody who isn't a party to your relationship, like your next door neighbor or your mom or your dad or somebody like that. Mm. 
Well, John Paul, I got to say, this has been uh, a very enlightening conversation, and uh, I'm I'm really grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with us. Um, on behalf of myself, Bridie, and all of our listeners, thank you so much. This really did mean a lot. Yeah, thank hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much. I've enjoyed talking. Well, that was a very pleasant conversation with John Paul Boyd. Right? Yeah. What a find. You know what? Mm -hmm. You told me to look up John Paul, but I can't remember if that was before or after. It was after I did my shoot with that CBC. uh, Yes. It was after I did the shoot for that CBC thing because they told me I was driving home with the, the producer. She gave me a ride back to my hotel. Okay. And I was like, hey, by the way, like you, you guys have been talking to some cool folks for the show. Do you have any recommendations for like that would be good for Turn Me On? And she was like, oh. John Paul Boyd. John Paul J- Boyd would be. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Because, okay, so what I was going to say is I, I wasn't sure if it was before or after I Googled family law and polyamory because this was oh. already a subject I was kind of curious about. Right. Something you were tossing around for season three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and what a great find. Such a lovely speaker, uh, lovely human to just shoot the shit with. And so cool yeah. about his uh, fine art and philosophy yeah. history. Love like that story. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Thanks for but asking it was, that. It was it was also it was like a nice reminder too about like I mean we talk about it all the time on the show, but like the importance of communication when it comes to relationships. But like mm. just to hear it from a like a lawyer's perspective. You know, it, it sort of put a bit of a different lens on the whole notion of communication. Yeah. Because it really, like, I to think about the all of the things that you and I have never talked about <laughs> or had never talked about. Yeah. You probably still to this day haven't talked about. Yeah. Um, it's just really interesting to think about. It also made me think about, like, things that perhaps I haven't, like, considered talking to Leah about yeah. that maybe it would be like a good idea. Um, and I'm sure that like, I'm not alone in that. Like there's, I'm sure there's listeners that heard that and went, Oh yeah, fuck. Oy. Cause we do, we get into these, we get into relationships and you find yourself in them. Like you y- yeah. were saying like, Oh, I guess we live together now. Yeah. Yeah. But like, so, so while we were talking, I brought up this, uh, this other law firm's website about 15 questions you, you should ask before getting married. Oh, cool. So there's uh, financial and personal questions. The financial ones were, um, do you have any credit card debt? Have you filed for bankruptcy? If so, when? Do you have any real property? Uh, Real property is any building or structure attached to land, including the rights and interest to them. What is the value of your personal property? It's like, none of this is romantic. You know what I mean? This is like so fucking, uh, who will legally own our property once we're married? Are you a co-signer to any other debt? Do you want a prenuptial agreement? That's a that's a hairy conversation, I think, for some. Well, I mean, only if one person or two people have money, right? Like, what do you need a prenuptial agreement for? Like, I've only ever heard it in reference to celebrities and people and with lots of money. Well, some individuals want to ensure that they won't be taken for a ride yeah. in a divorce proceeding yeah. should the marriage go south. During specifically... Uh, def- defining specifically what their spouse will receive in the event of a dis- dissolution of a marriage may be of paramount importance to them. 
If you are marrying someone who demands that you sign a prenuptial agreement, make sure you have that agreement reviewed by an attorney. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, but I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't think it's I, sure. It makes a lot of sense for someone like a couple where one of the, one of the two or both have a lot of money, uh-huh. but I don't think that's, I don't think it, that's the only place where that would apply. Right. You know, it's like, what if you come into a relationship with like, an example would be like, uh, you come into a relationship with someone and the person you, like you and I get into a relationship and I have a dog. Yeah. It could end up where, you know, the relationship ends and you just take the dog. Yeah. And I'm going, that was my fuck. That was my fucking dog. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And are you going to take me to court about that? Because that's going to be a lot of money. You know? You're damn fucking right. I take you to court about it. <laughs> um, if we have children, will we hire a nanny? That was another question in there. Will we file taxes jointly? That was one question that you and I didn't have. No. Probably should have had. And then the personal questions are, <laughs> I love this one. Are you still married? That's a good one. <laughs> uh, do you have a will? That's another like important question. Babe. I know. We got, I know. We got to, I got to get you, a will. We need a will. I know. We need a will. And you know what else we need? Actually, this is another thing. Because I, I did go for a meeting with a family lawyer for personal reasons to talk about the property and like business that I'm starting with Todd. And um, just wanting to make sure everyone is protected from my various forms of debt and your various forms of debt and any potential of Todd's forms of debt. And I just, I, you know, I wanted to get this, everything straight. And when I explained to her that none of us have wills, uh, she was like, that's the first thing you need to do. And especially where you have CF like that. But babe, one thing I want to do, maybe even more than the will, because I don't really even think there's that much. It's not like you have property or a grand fortune. Yeah, I don't own anything. But like, I want some art. I want the art. Okay. Like, cause I've also invested in that art, yeah, yeah. but, but, but actually the power of attorney is what we really need to get for you. Yeah. Which yeah, is like, what happens if you get really sick? Yeah. Nobody legally is entitled to speak for you. I mean, it would be me as your spouse, but like that doesn't make any difference if we haven't had fully fleshed out conversation about your wishes and your goals. Yeah. And and, and like, and, and the thing is like, this is a conversation. And maybe you don't even want me to be your power of attorney. Yeah, maybe, maybe you would want somebody else. To yeah. Be your power and, of and this is one of those conversations that like, because of the situation that we find ourselves in, mm-hmm. that's not just a conversation between you and I. No. Anymore. No. Like that is a conversation that involves Leah. Yeah. Perhaps even involving Todd. Yeah. You know, um, for the record, the executor of my will will not be you or Todd. It's going to be somebody I feel a like. stranger? It's going to be a complete stranger who's proven themselves to be really skilled at bureaucracy because yeah. it's a lot of fucking paperwork. Yeah, no, I don't and want anything I, to And do I know you that. don't want that. No. So, yeah. So, yeah. just so you know. Um, Donut, <laughs> can you get away from the camera, please? Uh, if you want to see, if you maybe want to catch a glimpse of our dog, Donut, patreon.com slash turn me on and you can watch our aftercare segments uh going on to the rest of these uh, questions uh number 12 do you have any prior criminal convictions do you that's a good question i do uh not that i know of uh would you change your name nope 
Do you have life insurance? I do. Do you have and or want any children? So these are all questions that like, I mean, maybe you and I had conversations about like two of these 15 things before we got married, but like the rest, not even fuck, didn't even think about it. And also, like I said in the conversation with John Paul, like we were young when we got married. I mean, I was 27, which is more of a realistic age to get married. You were 24. How old are you now? I'm 37. You are 37? Yeah, we've been married for 10 years. I am 37. You turned 37 this year. I turned 37 in February 2020. Holy fuck, dude. You're almost 38. I'm almost 40. That's crazy. I'm pushing 40, babe. That is crazy. (laughs) I know. Uh, Wow. Yeah. I'm not even 34. Yeah. That's cool. But like we didn't even know. I wouldn't have even thought to have asked you those questions. Not even like, oh, we didn't have that conversation. It was like, I didn't know enough about adult life to ask you those questions. So my question is this, like, you know, all right, so let's use our our example here, right? Mm -hmm. We're in a polyamorous relationship. Throughout that, whatever it's been, six, seven years of us doing this, we have been in other relationships outside of you and I. It's never been a quad. We've never had a triad. It's always been like a, it's always been kind of like a um, monopoly type scenario. Never heard that term before. Um, uh, Makes complete sense. And so now we find ourselves in this situation where I'm with Leah, you're with Todd. Leah and I have been together for about a year. You and Todd have been together for what, like four years now? Coming up on five years? Yeah. Um, That's fucking crazy. When... When do you have the conversation? Yeah. Like when, when is it that it's time to have the conversation? Cause like, and then on top of that, how do you, how do you broach the conversation? I, I guess I know the answer to that, which is that there, like, there's no, there's no good time. There's no natural time for that to come up. Like it has to be, it's, it it's a scheduled thing. It's like an intentional scheduled yeah. thing. Um, but like, at what point do you go, okay, now it's time to have the conversation? Wasn't that one of our trivia questions in one of our live show games is like that conversation? Like, what is this relationship? That was, that was the, yeah, it, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, that's right. like the conversation about what are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Right. You know, or whatever. Right. Okay. Um, I guess, you know, like it wouldn't have come up now if it weren't for you know, getting a business loan and yeah. buying property. See, I feel like the the time for that conversation to come up is like, because I feel like this is the sort of thing that happens in relationships often. It's like you're together, you've been together for a while, and then you start like, these things start coming up in conversation where you're like, okay, like, how do you envision our future? Or like, what do you, where do you see this going? Yeah, You know, like, I think everyone... I don't know. I've, I've like Leah and I are having those conversations now where it's like, what do we, what, what do we envision for ourselves in the future? Yeah. You know, like we're not going to get married. Kids are off the table. So like, what does, what does our relationship look like? Um, and I, I guess like even in like just regular, regular, 
even in typical monogamous relationships, it's like me relationships. Yeah, muggle relationships. <laughs> I feel like the that kind of conversation tends to start around the, you know, when you're like spending a lot of time together, things get a lot more serious. Like you start to have those those chats about like, you know, what what are we like? Where 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 do we see this going? Yeah, planning about the future. I feel like as soon as you get to that part of the relationship, then it's then it's kind of like, okay, well, if we're talking about the future, we should also start talking about, and in polyamory, we should yeah. start talking about like how these other people are a part of this and what does what are the different scenarios that we could look at and see. And Donut, that toy is not the best toy for recording. I, I just let him just okay. let him have it. He'll get tired of it in That's a second. Fine. Better than the soccer ball. Better than the soccer ball is literally digesting. Eating. Gross. Yeah, that's, it's a good question. And as a conflict avoidant person, I am the worst person to ask. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, for whatever reason, I know I can, I can speak to that. Like for whatever reason, those types of topics in conversation very easily can lead to discomfort, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. discomfort, insecurity, questioning like your own reality or like questioning what you thought was like those types of things tend not tend to come up, but like can very easily spring up when you're having those, those more serious conversations and asking those more serious questions. And I think less the, surface level questions, I guess. I think an important thing to remember with regards to those conversations and that those reactions to those conversations is what John Paul was talking about, the social script, which we're not even aware that it exists really until we start moving outside of it. And, you know, like big picture, our society was built on this assumption of dyadic relationships. Yeah. How you doing down there, Donut? <laughs> you are going Just to town. Just going to town on this squeaky toy. Jesus, buddy. Um, you're lucky you're cute. And so anything that breaks us outside of that, that social script that, which is just like been assumed to be normal our whole lives is going to make people, it's going to make us uncomfortable. It's outside the comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, what comes up for me hearing you say that is a, a lot of the stuff we've actually talked about with. Kendra. I'm like, I'm really looking forward Kendra to, Kunov. yeah, with Kendra yeah. Kunov and I'm really looking forward to doing her boundaries course, mm-hmm. um, which I will remind all of our listeners that she has generously offered a generous discount to, um, and you can find it on her website, KendraKunov.com, her, her course called beyond boundaries. It's a sort of do it in your own time. You get a, it's a four week online self-study program. Um, but I think that when I heard Kendra Kunov talking about once you've identified, you know, once, once you've kind of gotten comfortable with the idea that boundaries are there, then when we bump up against those uncomfortable moments, we can kind of maybe look at it and be like, okay, so I have a need here that feels threatened or feels, uh, feel or feels pushed on. And, it's not up to my partner to understand that that's my boundary or that's my need. It is, it's on me to communicate that. 
And so if I just have an emotional reaction to something, to, to you saying, hey, let's talk about how our relationship fits within my existing partnership or, or whatever, recognizing, oh, I'm, I'm contracting or I'm closing up in regards to what you're, you're saying or what you're saying you want to talk about, then I guess, I guess an honesty to that and accountability to that of like, oh, I'm having a reaction or, or even stating, I think the other day, even with Todd, I said, I have to say this because I recognize that when I don't, when I'm feeling like I'm not a full bodied yes to something, but I don't express it and I just sit on it and wait and wait and wait. Why do we do that? Oh, I'm the worst for it too. Well, I just said straight up, I was like, because I was so worried it was going to cause a fight. I was getting ready for school. I didn't have fucking time to get into an argument that was going to ruin my whole day. Yeah. So I just said, look, I have to say this because if I don't, then a month down the road, I'm going to be really resentful. Yeah. And I just said it. And that that worked as a way yeah. with, with Todd and I to preface that. I didn't have to make a big deal about it. I just, what I said was, I'm not a full bodied yes to this. Yeah. And that that divorced it from any sort of like, you're making me feel like this. Or mm. I, I even as something as ambiguous as I feel this, for me to say it's my body mm. is not a full-bodied yes. Like, we know what that feels like. We yeah. know what a full-bodied yes or a full-bodied no feels like. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of drawing on that with regards to thinking about these conversations and and being like, how do I stand up for what I want and need in these negotiations or in these, but also this concept of like uh, managing expectations. Mm. Like if we don't have these conversations and I just expect you're going to do 50% of the dishwashing and 50% of the laundry, then of course I'm going to be fucking resentful when you don't do the laundry, even though we've never had an explicit agreement. We never talked about it. Yeah. No. And, um, and I think, you know, for any listeners who might, this might be resonating for, there is something to that. Like, why do I feel so frustrated right now that Jer- that Jeremy, that these dishes have been on the counter and it seems like he's just waiting for me to do them. It's because I have an unspoken expectation Yeah, that you'll contribute 50% of the dishwashing. I do all the dishwashing. Yeah. At my, at, like I love, I love having all the dishes washed. Yeah. Wasn't always like that, but I do now. Interesting. Yeah. It's Just so saying. it's so interesting to be in a the relationship that we're in where you I and make I, my bed every day. Why didn't you do that when we shared a bed? Because it's all one room. You know, I actually Leah got me into it. Okay. Into making my bed. Okay. Yeah. But you don't, but she doesn't make it, you make it. Why she makes you? my bed sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I, I don't get to do it because she's already done it. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice. Oh. Sometimes I come home, the whole place is clean. I'm like, fuck, I didn't even get to do that. Wow. Yeah. I wish, well, I don't wish, I don't regret anything. But if we were to have some of these sorts of preliminary conversations, Knowing what we know mm-hmm. now about one another, yeah, yeah. When we went into a living situation together and got how married, how different that would have been. Can you think of anything that 
would have been really beneficial. I mean, you already mentioned the taxes thing. Um, That's huge. That would have been the most beneficial. Like our, well, taxes and debt. Taxes and debt would have been beneficial to yeah. us for sure. But we had no idea. We had no idea. Yeah. We had no idea. No. And even how we were going to handle our finances. Yeah. We never, we just got a joint. We just, but even how we were going to, even how we were going to handle introducing new people to our lives. Yeah. Relationship wise. Yeah. Like we never had discuss. we never really had pointed intentional conversations about that before it. No. It was sort of like, it was always kind of in the, in the heat of it. Yeah. You know, on the fly. Because we didn't know what we didn't know until those yeah. things came up. Yeah, and there were there were there were things that there were there were times there were things that came up for me that like because we didn't talk about it that I that left me feeling resentful for like you know a small period of it was very short very small and 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 didn't you know didn't last but like there there's there's a bunch of stuff like that that I can think of that that came up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. A lot of our stuff, I think, preliminary conversations would have been about money. Because, like, even things like spending habits are spending. The way yeah. we spend money is really different. Yeah. And the way just we perceive money is really different. Yeah. And, and not that those, you can't be different and compatible, but those things would have been really good for us to talk about yeah. right, out of the, right out of the bat. I mean, sex, of course, is a whole other thing. Like, we have expectations yeah. unexpressed expectations but yeah it just it's really hitting home for me how little we knew going into yeah. it yeah but how also fortunate we were to end up with each other figuring these things out yes because it could have been very bad mm -hmm. uh, had had we not been able to somehow we figured it out somehow we well. figured even the yeah. things like when we got married we were still talking about like, oh, well, maybe we'll adopt kids someday. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. And that yeah, just happened wild. to, it happened like, yeah, it just kind of happened that we ended up on the same page about things and yeah. compatible in the ways that we've done things. And I really, I really value that conversation we have with John Paul, honestly, like Me to too. hear how uh, common these arrangements are. And that's got to be because they work and because they make sense on an interpersonal level and on a family system level. And because we had no inspiration for this when we went into it, it yeah. was, we didn't have any real life examples. So it's really reassuring to know that like, as much as we maybe refer to ourselves as relationship pioneers, like actually the, the it has existed and, exists has existed functionally for a long amount of time just on the yeah on well i've never i've never referred to ourselves as relationship pioneers as in we are the first i've always i've always looked at it as uh, we are our own right relationship pioneers yeah we're doing it our way for us without without anybody else in our social circle that's done it this way you know that like that sort of thing yeah yeah, totally. We actually have a really great question from one of our um, listeners and uh, and um, patrons, which we're going to read on a, in a future episode. But about yeah. about that mm -hmm. articulating 
that kind of relationship anarchy. Mm. Um, uh, and we will elaborate on that more. more yeah. Maybe soon. next week we'll hit that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with regards to our no, episode no, today? I or? mean, no, that was, I, I'm, I, like I said, I really enjoyed that conversation and I'm glad that we had it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, Donut's ready to sweep the floor. Donut I guess he just took out the broom. Man, oh man, you're just going at it, but he's having the best time <laughs> of his life all by himself. Um, well, I'm happy to leave it there for this week. If you are. Let's leave it at that. Uh, folks, thank you. Oh, one more thing. Before we leave it, I do want to thank, these are some overdue thank yous um, <coughs> from the summer for new patrons uh, who have been supporting <coughs> us. And uh, it means so much. I really, I really can't stress enough that I don't, we wouldn't be still doing this without the support of our listeners. And, uh, and we have a handful of people to thank this week that became patrons over the summer. Um, so I'd like to thank Ginny, Mark, Andrew and Susie. And I'm just going to say that it's, it appears as if when you sign up to be a patron, you can opt out of being, of getting a show shout out. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, and I don't know if in this case it was intentional or not, but we had one other uh, patron and I, and who's also written us some, some email. And I want to say thank you to you. I hope you know who you are. I won't say your name because it appears that you've opted out, but um, thank you as well to you and to those of you who have transitioned over to email money transfer patrons from Patreon. Yeah. Um, Leah, thank you. And, uh, and we have a couple of others as well that I'll, uh, I'll write down for next week. But Folks, thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, really love getting the opportunity to sit down and chat with you, even though it's a one-sided conversation. Um, uh, because you make my week and, uh, and it's very fun. I'm so glad that we have this platform. Uh, thank you to our listeners. It wouldn't be possible without you. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, leave a rating and a review. If you're on Spotify, make sure the follow button has been clicked so that of course, you know that the podcast is coming out every week and, uh, to everyone else, if you are looking to support in further ways, like we said, patreon.com slash turn me on. Uh, looking forward to next week looking forward to hitting that question which is actually really fun because the question that you were talking about with this relationship anarchy thing that we're going to talk about uh, a patron sent in a voice memo oh yeah and and so it'll be really fun I'll play it on the show Um, and if anyone has questions and they want to like be on the show with their own voice great way to do it yeah do it and send it to turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions whatsoever Uh, folks thank you so much have a wonderful week And that is it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.